So we are incredibly thankful for people like Brett and Kristen who are willing to step up and lead us in worship as um, Kayla, uh, our normal worship leader, is on the front lines of the COVID-19 battle um, out there working at a hospital in New Orleans, uh, serving other people, trying to make them well as best she can. Um, we are extremely grateful for you tuning in online to watch and to be a part of this worship time as we worship in song and as we worship through the word. Um, it is extremely hard for me. This is extremely difficult for me. And there are many times where I walk away having talked to a camera for 40 minutes and I walk away going, I don't even know if I said the right thing. I don't know if I gave God's word the credit that it was due um, and it's extremely difficult for me on a, a time like Easter Sunday. Last week, I was really struggling with it. And I, you know, I felt like to some degree, maybe I was too formal or maybe I was just not myself enough. And so I really believe that what God has done through this passage and this um, maybe a series, I'm not sure, it, that this is more like, I guess, who I am and who God's called me to be. Um, because this... <laughs> this passage that I'm going to be reading to you today, oh boy, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if you want to have the kids in the room for this one. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. Like, there's some crazy stuff in here, and you're not going to believe your ears, and you're going to be like, "Why is this even in the Word of God?" But man, this is so much. Me preaching this is so much like kind of who I am and kind of my way because I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm pretty jacked up. Um, most of the people that go to this church are, are pretty jacked up. I hate to say that. If you go to this church, you're a part of this church. Uh, but you know that I'll say that about you because uh, if you want to go to a perfect church with a perfect pastor, uh, this is not the place for you. Uh, you need to go somewhere else uh, because I am pretty messed up along with pretty much everybody in here. So the good news about that, I guess, is that there is good news and we are in need of a Savior. And the fact that we are so jacked up uh, it makes it very prevalent and very obvious in this place that we need a Savior. So um, I really, I contemplated starting a series and, and starting it with this particular passage in Genesis chapter 38 and just calling it Jacked Up. I don't know if that would be an okay sermon series, just call it Jacked Up, but this, that's kind of the way it is. Um, so we're going we're gonna to read it and I'm going to do my best to keep it G-rated the best way I can. Um, but man, this is some wicked stuff going on in here. Uh, we're going to be talking about a guy named Judah today. Uh, Judah is one of the 12 sons of Israel or Jacob. If you know much about your Bible history, you know that uh, God made a covenant with Abraham uh, that the Messiah, the Savior, would come through his line, uh, through his uh, gene pool, if you will. Uh, Abraham gave birth to Isaac. And Isaac gave birth to, to Jacob. They didn't give birth, actually. That would be really weird if that had happened. Uh, they, were, they were the parents. They were the dads, specifically. Uh, unfortunately, in biblical times, the women take a lesser role, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just saying, like, that's the lineage, and we'll read about that. Uh, but the, the lineage is such that Judah is one of the sons of Israel, or Jacob, and uh, this particular passage where it comes in in Genesis chapter 38 is where we're in the middle of the story of Joseph. Uh, and Joseph is, is Judah's brother. He's one of the other sons of Israel or Jacob. And um, <laughs> it's, it's really weird that chapter 38 of Genesis is in chapter 38. It's where it is in the whole story of Joseph. Um, 
Joseph is a guy that's not really well liked by his brothers. He's a good dude, and we actually find out if we read the, uh, the whole story of Joseph, we've done that here in civil church before, um, that he really turns out to be a really good guy, a very graceful guy, a very forgiving guy, a very righteous guy. And, and Judah, if we look at his life, he's, he's like one of uh, Joseph's older brothers. Judah kind of sucks, if we're honest. Um, he's not really a nice guy. Uh, if you know anything about the story of Joseph, Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. The main reason he gets sold into slavery, uh, his brothers wanted to kill him because they didn't like him very much. They kind of felt like he was the favorite and he wore this fancy coat and all this kind of stuff. That his, he was his daddy's favorite. So they decided they wanted to kill him. Um, if you think you got some family problems, step into the line of Israel. You'll understand that you're not the only one with family problems. But Judah says, no, I got a better idea. Instead of killing him, let's make some money off of him. Uh, that's a loving brother right there, isn't it? I, sometimes uh, my brother that, that is, has since gone to be with the Lord, sometimes I think that he probably would have sold me into slavery if he thought he could get a few dollars for it. But anyway, so he sold his brother into slavery, said, you know what, instead of killing him, let's make a few dollars off of him. If we kill him, we're not going to make any money. So Judah, being a very entrepreneurial self that he is, he goes, let's sell him into slavery. And then he'll be gone, he'll be out of our lives, and we'll get a few bucks out of it. So um, Judah's a really nice guy, we can tell already. Um, so we're going to read about some stuff that happens. Um, and and, and you, you probably already can tell where I'm going with this, but I'll save it till the end so we don't give away the end before we start at the beginning. So anyway, so we find out about this guy named Judah, and it begins in Genesis chapter 38. We're reading in Genesis chapter 38 today. It says, and about this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man named Hira. There he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. Now, I have to give you a little bit of background. The Canaanite people uh, were not good people. They in, in, indulged in some very nasty, awful, terrible worship practices. And God was like, look, have nothing to do with the Canaanite people. Do not intermarry with them. Do not hang out with them. The Canaanites are bad, bad people. You don't need to be with them. And here we've got one of the sons of Israel going to hang out and, and, and check out. Uh, he's hanging out with this dude named Hira. Hira, uh, he is not taking the high road. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. Hira is a bad dude. Um, he, is, he is not somebody, when you hang around with him, uh, that you're going to be singing worship songs and you're going to be you know, driving down the road on, on your way to, to the Passion Conference. That is not Hira. That is not who this guy is. So when Judah goes to hang out with Hira in Adullam, he's not going to do good stuff. As a matter of fact, he's going to hang out. And, and what does he do once he's there? He's checking out the Canaanite women. Um, not a good thing for Judah to be doing. Uh, he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. Um, so he has married a Canaanite woman. This is somebody that God would have said, no, this is not good. This is bad. This is not the right woman for you. Uh, but Judah has gone the opposite direction. He's hanging out with Hira, and he's checking out the Canaanite women, and he actually marries one of them. So this is not the first time this has happened in God's word, but... Uh, here we see this is a bad thing for Judah. So he marries her. It says he slept with her and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. He named the boy Ur. That's a cool name. Two letter Ur. You know, it's like, what should we name him? Ur. And uh, she's like, that's it. That's good. That's a good name. We'll go with that. Um, so anyway, his name was Ur. She became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Onan. So that's, that's a little bit better. Okay, Onan. And, and uh, 
And when she gave birth to a third son, she named him Shelah. Now, not so good of a name for a guy. His name is Sheila. I don't know if I'd want my name to be Sheila. I could think of a thousand names I'd rather have than Sheila. But anyway, so at the time of Sheila's birth, they were living at Kezib. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. Okay, so back in the Old Testament, old school days, um, it was very common for uh, arranged marriages to happen. Now, obviously, Judah is not going down this path. He went out and found his own Canaanite woman. But here we've got a situation where it's an arranged marriage, and, and uh, Judah has agreed to have this arranged marriage uh, for his first son to marry Tamar. Now, you look at this, and I, I know that as I think about it, it's like, man, would I want my parents picking out my wife? I don't know. I don't know that I would want that so much. No offense, mom and dad, but I don't know that I would have been all on board with that so much. Now that I have a daughter, I can kind of see the reason why this is good. You know, I'm like, I could, I could see that good. You know, I could see like, trade you a goat, we'll make some kind of arrangement here. And uh, yeah, so anyway, so I think that, you know, being, being a, a parent, I kind of see the advantages of this, but being a kid, I'm like, no, I don't think that would fly at all. So anyway, so, so here we got Ur, Mary, and Tamar. This has been set up. Uh, it's, it's, it's time and like, okay, okay. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight. So the Lord took his life. Ouch. That stings a little bit. This dude was so bad that God said no more. People read that. I mean, that's pretty risque a little bit. People read that and they go, really? God can do that? Yeah, you better believe he can. Um, and some people say, well, I don't know that I could love a God like that. I don't, I don't know that I could love a God to just say, that's it with you, you know, like just cut you off and that's the end of you. The reality is, is that's what we all deserve. We all deserve for our lives to be just cut off. We're all that wicked in case you're wondering. We're all that wicked and, we, and we're just by the grace of God, God doesn't do that to us today. He doesn't say enough with you. You're done. Go lay in the grave somewhere. He said, he, because of his grace and his mercy, he continues to let us live and let us glorify him. But man, this dude was bad. And, and I think about now, why was, now, why was Ur so bad? I, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Um, I know that his daddy was hanging out with, with Hira and Hira wasn't a good dude. I know his daddy married a Canaanite woman, and, and man, I, 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 maybe he was just taken after daddy. Maybe he was just doing what daddy always did, and maybe that's the reason he was so wicked and so awful. You know, um, as we have kids and as our kids grow up, you start to notice little things that they do that are like you. You start to notice, like, even, even little things like their taste in music, you know, like their taste in music. You're like, man, I used to listen to that when I was younger, you know, like, I, I dig that kind of music, and... All of a sudden, my kids are kind of liking that kind of music. It's kind of weird how that happens. Then you'll see them have some of your mannerisms and like some of the things that you say or things that you do, especially as they get older, start to develop their personality. You go, man, that is just like me. That is just like me. And, and dads, dads, you'll hear. Now, I'm not saying that this is the case all the time, but I'm saying you'll hear your, your son or your daughter slip up and say something. And be like, Where did they hear that word from? It may be from you. Uh, where did they learn to do that? Or how, wh- how did they learn that behavior of acting this way or acting so rudely or, or doing this or doing that? It may be you. I'm not saying that their friends don't have a lot of influence because they do. Just like Hira had a lot of influence over Judah. 
He was hanging out doing bad stuff, and friends have that impact. But I'm also saying the dads, moms, dads alike, we have a huge influence on the way our kids behave, what they do, their values, the things that they see that are important. And maybe, just maybe, Ur was taken after his daddy, and, and God said he was so wicked, that's enough, and he took his life. Ur was no more. Then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar as the law requires of a brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. That's weird, okay? I know that that's weird in today's culture. Like, okay, your brother dies. You don't have a wife. Go and marry your sister-in-law. I know that's weird, okay? But that's the way that it was in this time. That was the culture. That was God's law. That was God's requirement. It was so that the lineage of God's people would continue on. And here, you know, uh, Judah's just saying, look, Onan, you owe me, okay, right? And well, here's what you got to do. You got to go and you got to marry Tamar because Tamar, she didn't have any kids and you got to have kids. You got to continue on your brother's name. And he's like, my brother's name? What about me, dude? Like, I want my own name. Okay, so Onan, uh, or excuse me, so Ur was not a good dude and, and he was really bad and he died and so, no, I don't want to continue on his name. I want my own thing. I want to do what I want to do. And, and here is daddy saying, look, you've got to take Tamar. She's got to be your wife, okay? To continue, uh, you must produce an heir for your brother. I would be like, what, what about an heir for me? You know, like, is this got to be all about her? You know, just because he was the oldest one? It says this in verse 9. It says, but Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with this brother's wife, hang on, just be patient here, okay? Cover the, cover the kids' ears maybe if they're watching or something. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled semen on the ground. This present, prevented her from having a child who belonged to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. Wow, dude. Okay, like brace yourself. I mean, this... This is some crazy stuff that we're reading here. Yes, it's in the Bible. You're reading it along with me in Genesis chapter 38. I promise it's in there. So here we've got Onan. He's supposed to produce an heir for his brother. He's not real happy about it. So he exercises birth control. Okay? Let's just put it that way. We'll just say birth control. That's what he's exercising here. And some people will look at this passage. They'll say, so, oh, see, God hates birth control right there. This is why we should have a billion kids and you know, 45 and counting or whatever, and like, but that's not the issue here. This is not a passage about birth control, in case you're wondering. Uh, an unnatural means of preventing birth. That's not what this is about. But here, uh, what we have instead is a heart issue. And, 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 and he was supposed to, to bear a child, which was God's natural way of, the, of this happening. According to God's law, he was supposed to have his sister-in-law as a wife, and they were supposed to bear children, and that's the way it was supposed to go. But he didn't like that idea, so he took it upon himself to have the gratification without having the responsibility. Oh, my goodness, my goodness. The gratification without the responsibility. Is this very prevalent in today's society? The gratification without the responsibility? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Look at, look, at, look at abortion and how rampant it is. And it is a million, if not billion-dollar business now. When people enjoy the gratification, enjoy the satisfaction, and then what happens when the responsibility comes along and says, no, I don't want that, take that away from me, 
and I'm going to do something that's in complete rebellion against God, and the baby's going to be taken because I don't want the responsibility. The responsibility is too much. I enjoyed everything that led up to it, but at this point, there's responsibility associated with it, and I do not want it. And abortions are rampant in this country. This, this is so very prevalent in our day and in our time. Um, Young people especially, you look at this, man, and you look at where we're going and what we're doing with our lives, and you go, man, this it's not good. And it wasn't good for Onan. Uh, God saw this. He saw the way that Onan was behaving, didn't want the responsibility, didn't want uh, to have an heir for his brother. It says, so the Lord took Onan's life too. Two brothers dead now as a result of being wicked in the Lord's sight, not doing as the Lord has instructed. And here, Onan, he has lost his life too. So, you know, if I'm dad and I'm looking at the situation, I'm going, okay, we got two dead sons and I got a third, right? I got, I got little Sheila coming up, right? He's, he's growing up and he, I, he's next in line, okay? You got to be looking and going, well, maybe Tamar's the issue, right? Like, maybe we got a little Black Widow situation going on here and, and maybe Tamar's the issue. It's just... Not necessarily my sons, maybe, maybe Tamar's issue. Every time she marries somebody, they end up dead. Not good, right? I watched, watched a lot of forensic files. I know how that goes, okay? So, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'd be saying. Uh, I don't need a third dead son. So go back to your parents to remain a widow until my son Sheila is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would die, would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live uh, in her father's home. So he says, hey, Tamar, appreciate you. It's been fun. It's been real, but it hadn't been real fun. Go back home to where your mom and daddy are. I'll call you. I'll, I'll, I'll text you something. I'll let you know when it's time. Sheila's still kind of young right now, but it gets time. Look, I'll give you a ring. Don't worry about it. Some years later, Judah's wife died. So dad's wife dies, right? After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira, oh no, Hira, Hira the low road guy, man. He, he, okay, so he's hanging, he goes back to Hira. So his wife's gone uh, and, and, and Judah is going to hang out with Hira again. The Adulamite went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Hmm. Yeah, that's not the reason why people went up to Timnah. Uh, if you know uh, any of the other biblical stories about going to Timnah, uh, you know that Samson went to Timnah too. Um, going to Timnah, let's put it this way. What happens in Timnah stays in Timnah, okay? It's kind of like going to Vegas a little bit, okay? So he's going to Timnah, and he says, hey, I'm going to supervise the shearing of the sheep. Now that's like saying... Hey, I'm going down to uh, I'm going down to uh, to Las Vegas to pass out gospel tracts out on the strip. Yeah, you might be, you might be, but chances are, if you go to Vegas, you're going to do what people do in Vegas, and that's why uh, Judah was actually there. It says um, someone told Tamar, "Look, your father-in-law is going to Timnah to shear." His sheep. I don't know if this is like a euphemism or whatever it is, but he's just, they say to Tamar, he's going to shear his sheep. She knows, uh, or Timnah to shear his sheep. She knows that when this happens, she knows what happens in Timnah. She knows what usually goes down there, so she is ready. 
This is so weird. It gets weirder. Okay, I'm telling you, like you thought it was bad a few uh, paragraphs up, but it gets weirder, okay? So Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she knows, hey, look, he never called. Sheila grew up. Judah's got no intention of giving me a call to tell me that it's time for me to marry Sheila. So he, he, she knows this. Look at what she does. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. Oh, no. Oh, Judah, what are you about to do, son? So she takes off her widow's clothing. She goes up, hides out, covers her face. He can't see who she is. Typical way that prostitutes did things. So then he starts the negotiation. Oh, Judah. So he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing she was his own daughter-in-law. If, if, if right here, if there was an emoji, it would be that one with the gritting of the teeth emoji. You know, the one that's like, Ugh. like that's where we would be right here if there was an emoji after that. He didn't realize it's his daughter-in-law. He's thinking she's a prostitute. He's propositioning her. Oh, man, it's tough here. How much will you pay to have sex with me? Tamar asked. So they're negotiating, right? Negotiation's happening here. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. You know, you know what Judah said? Judah said, tell you what, I'll give you a kid. Oh, no, what a terrible pun, a kid, huh? Woo, okay, all right. But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send me the goat, she asked. What kind of guarantee do you want, he replied. She's like, okay, great. So you're going to send me a kid, a young goat. Great, okay, great, wonderful. How do I know that you're good for this, that you're going to send me a young goat? You got to have something to guarantee this, right? What kind of guarantee do you want? So the negotiation continues. She, said, she answered, leave your identification seal and his cord and the walking stick you were carrying. So this is what she says. This is like his stamp, his seal for his family. I mean, like, this is like, when you seal something with this, with this identification stamp, when you seal it and say, this is from me, you're like giving the authority and, and, and all of the responsibility over to somebody when they have that seal. They can put your stamp of approval on something and say, this has come from me. He is handing over all authority to this woman. When she says, give me your, your identification and your cord and, and give me your walking stick, I mean, she's like, Basically, to, to, to Judah, she's basically saying, give me everything you got, including your authority. I want all that. How many times do we see this in the Bible? People willing to give up everything, right? Jacob and Esau, we, we, we saw that whole picture of how you can give over everything for a bowl of stew. And, and here we see another situation with more than stews being traded here, obviously. But he's willing to give up everything. Even his stamp, his seal. It says, so Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her and she became pregnant. God, this just keeps getting weirder. 
Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil, and put on her widow's clothing as usual. So she went back home. She knew what had happened. She had done this thing. She went back home. She, she, take, she took off the veil and, and put on her widow's clothing, just like none of this had happened. She's trying to cover this up. Later, Judah asked his friend Hira, the Adulamite, to take the young goat to the woman and to pick up the things he had given her as his guarantee. So he's like, okay, hey, Hiram, go and, 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 and take care of this for me. Take the goat. Take, take this to the young woman. Make sure you get all the stuff back that I had given her, that I traded her you know, for, for um, hmm, these favors. It says, but Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find a sh- the, the shrine prostitute who was sitting beside the road in the entrance to Enim? We've never had a shrine prostitute here. Now you can see that the Canaanites, having a shrine prostitute is kind of giving an idea of how bad the Canaanites were, right? So they have a shrine prostitute, and he was going to uh, Timnah, and obviously Timnah's got a good place if they got shrine prostitutes, right? Since we never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hira returned to Judah and told her, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claimed they never had a shrine prostitute there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. And he's like, what can I do? All right. She wasn't there. Um, he'd given her authority. He'd given his walking stick, the cord. Like he'd given everything over to her, everything that he had. And he's like, okay, what can I do? So let her keep the things I gave her. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back to look for her. Look again for two. Ah, went back again to look for her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute, and now, and now because of this, she's pregnant. Somebody comes to. Um, to the dad, comes to Judah, says, hey, you know what? Tamar has gone out and she's done this thing. She's acted like a prostitute and now she's pregnant. She didn't have a husband. She's doing things she shouldn't be doing. And look what Judah says. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. He's looking at her sin. Isn't it so easy to see somebody else's sin? Isn't it so easy to point out sin when it's in somebody else? He's looking at her and says, you know what? What she has done, she deserves to be burned for what she has done. Not just dead. She deserves to be burned, man. That's what the law requires. Bring her out here. Let's take care of this situation. This is what she deserves. Boy, it's so easy to look at somebody else's sin. This, you know, incidentally, this is why we go to to remove the speck out of somebody else's eye. We've got this giant two-by-four sticking out of our eye. You know, here, let me focus on this little tiny speck. And you know how bad it is to to have something removed. You ever had something removed from your eye? It's a very uh, painful, very weird situation. I I had this done when I was uh, a teenager in high school. I was like 11th, 12th grade, I think, and I had something in my eye. And I had to go to, uh, we didn't have like really urgent care places. You just kind of went to the doctor. I don't know what that was, but a family practitioner or whatever. And I had something in my eye. And it really, it really sucked, if I'm honest with you. I did not like it at all. It's driving me crazy. So they put this stuff in my eye to numb it because they take this ultraviolet light and they shine it on there. Well, they put this stuff on my eye and they hold my eye open and they're, 
They're flushing it with all this irrigation stuff, trying to wash out whatever's in there. And I, I think they must have got it, but they'd numb my eye with this irrigation stuff. And then they said, okay, we're going to put this little stick on your eye so that we can light it up and it'll be ultraviolet and we can see it and we can see what's actually in your eyeball. It was so weird. It was like I had a pair of glasses on and this like stick little thing, this yellow stick was like coming at my eye and it was going whoop, whoop, whoop. I couldn't feel anything on my eyeball, but they were just like moving it around on my eyeball to try to cover my eye with this stuff. And then they put it on the ultraviolet light and saw that basically I had a scratch on my cornea and they put some goo on there and I had to have an eye patch for a day and it was really weird, but I had to go to school and show everybody I had an eye patch, so that was cool. But I'm just saying like, Removing a speck out of your eye is a very delicate, very difficult process. And imagine trying to remove a speck out of somebody else's eye when you have a two-by-four sticking out of yours. And here, that's a situation that we're in with Judah right now. I'm sorry, Judah's not a, dude, a good dude. He's just not. He's, he's, he's not. He says, you know what, Tamar? Can't believe she did this thing. She's acting like a prostitute. Knowing full well that he's been hanging out with Hira, going out and hanging out with prostitutes. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. As they were taking out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? You think you could have heard a pin drop in that room? Oh, son. Like, I know, it's juicy, right? This is like days of our lives going on right here. Like, she says, tell you what, the guy who got me pregnant, this is his stuff. And she, obviously, she's got some goods on him, right? She's got his walking stick, his cord, his seal. Like, here, this is the man. Who does this look like to you? Judah, who had his throat in his stomach, recognized them immediately and said, She is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shelah. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. So here, I think what we see, I think what we see is a man in recognition of what he has done. A man in recognition that it kind of all started back when I didn't allow her to marry Sheila as God had intended, as God would have required according to the law. I didn't allow that to happen, and that was my first mistake. That was my first mistake. As we look at our lives and we look at our screw-ups and we look at all the things that we've done wrong and we looked at how jacked up we are, we can almost always track it back to one initial misstep, one initial thing where we took the wrong step, we took it away from God, And here I think that's exactly what's going on with Judah. I think that he recognizes, you know what, I should have done what God had said. And he stopped looking at Tamar's sin so much and started looking at himself. I think that's the picture right here. As we look at our world and how messed up it is and we look at the things that people are doing and and we... Yeah, we can point the finger at abortion and, and look and see how bad that is. And all the while, we should be looking at ourselves as well. And we, we look at, at people that have had abortions and we, we put a, a scarlet letter on them or what have you. And, and the whole time, man, we're wearing like 40 scarlet letters all over ourselves. The things that we've committed and done and, and, and how messed up we are. And Judah stopped doing that for a second. He said, you know what? 
I should have done what God commanded. I should have done according to God's plan and not according to my own plan. And I can't point the finger at Tamar anymore. It says that he never slept with Tamar again. And I think that that's an indication of repentance. I think that's an indication of, you know, I mean, he could have, he could have taken her as his wife and then uh, they could have bore more children together. He could have done this, done that. He could have done all these things. But instead, he saw the error of his ways and he said, not again. Not again. Um. What is the moral of this story, I guess? If you were to think about how pure and righteous Joseph was, and you read the story of Joseph, and you can read that in Genesis, and you can read how he was a godly man, and even when he was tempted, he ran out of the house, and even though he left everything behind, he just ran away from sin. Great opportunities from sin, he just ran away from them. Here you got Judah indulging in sin, chasing after sin, doing incestuous acts with his, his daughter-in-law and all these messed up things about Judah. But you know what the reality is? God's grace is shown and the evidence of God's grace is shown by the fact that Jesus, the Messiah, did not come through the line of Joseph. Jesus, our Messiah, our King, the one who sacrificed himself for all of us, came to the line of Judah. In Matthew chapter 1, it says this. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David, David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for the reality of your word. Thank you so much for the fact that Jesus, our King, our Savior, is represented, God, through the line of Judah, one who was so messed up, and he, he did a thousand things wrong. And God, maybe he even raised his sons the wrong way. Maybe he even showed them wicked and evil things. And, and all of this, all of the thousand different ways that Judah was messed up, God, in Tamar, who is a widow but disguised as a prostitute. God, through the fact that she did what well, was not right, she took a way that was not your way. And God, even in the midst of all this, God, there's, an, there's evidence of your grace, your tremendous grace, God, that, that washes over a multitude of sins. God, there's so much grace in this story. Judah did not deserve what was given to him. He did not deserve it for the Messiah to be in his bloodline. But God, that is exactly what you did. God, we deserve to be just like, just like Ur and Onan who were killed, God, because of their wickedness. We deserve that. But God, instead, what you choose to do is you choose to show us grace and show us mercy. God, in that Messiah, God, that died for all of us and died for the worst version of ourselves, he calls us his own. He adopts us into his family. God, so we might be heirs, a royal priesthood. God, we're so thankful for the fact that you do not give us what we deserve. You give us grace instead. So as our hearts are broken, I pray that we have a heart of repentance. I pray that we have a heart that chases after you and not of sin. God, and I pray, I pray, God, we recognize that immense grace that was there for us. 
God, is there for us to grab onto. God, we so love you and we so thank you for this precious word and this testimony. In Jesus' name, amen.